Good morning. Welcome to worship at Northminster this morning. And on the civil calendar, happy Independence Day tomorrow. Whether you're here in person in our sanctuary or joining us on our YouTube channel, we're so glad that you are with us today in this service. And if you're visiting with us, we offer you a special welcome and hope that you'll participate in all aspects of our service this morning. And if you're here in person, that includes taking communion. Uh, this is God's table open to all people, and so we hope that you'll feel comfortable uh, sharing communion with us. You'll find instructions uh, uh, concerning communion in the order of worship. And I might say that uh, for those of us who are regulars, this is a really different service than we usually see. It's in uh, uh, Dr. Gaddy's sermon, as we'll see, is in five different parts with music, et cetera, in between. So this is not usually what we do for those of you visiting with us. Just wanted to let you know that. But uh, so just hold on to your seats or your hats or whatever and we'll. <laughs> and for all of us, as I say every Sunday, our first gift of God today in this service is the gift of our presence, our just showing up, being here uh, in worship today. So if you're comfortable doing so, if you would take the uh, attendance register you'll find there in the hymn book holder on the inside aisles and complete that for us. We would appreciate that. Two of our young people and two of their adult leaders are arriving today at Baptist Youth Camp in the mountains of North Carolina and we wish them a good and meaningful week this week and a safe return to us next weekend. And congratulations today to two of our Curl Scholars who have spent some time this week in Chicago at the convention, National Convention of the National Association of Teachers of Singing, NATS. Uh, Preston Anderson, our, our tenor Curl Scholar, and James Wright, our bass baritone Curl Scholar, each got to the semifinals of uh, at Nats, and so that's really, really uh, an honor for them and for us. And so we, we congratulate them and look forward to their being back with us soon. Our pastor search committee will be sponsoring an old-fashioned pastor pounding uh, for our new pastor Jillian and husband Eric. Please be on the lookout this week for information on what they need, or we think they need, as they move to Monroe later this month. And as usual, we'll have a sign-up sheet available so that they don't get too much of one thing and not enough of another. Please remember that our mission trunk emphasis this month is the Ex-Offenders in Transition program of Goodwill Industries of North Louisiana. There's more information on this program in the insert in your order of worship as well as items that are needed for that particular ministry. You'll notice that we do not have a beautiful arrangement of flowers gracing our communion table this morning. That was not intended today. Although the flower wholesaler where we usually get our flowers said they would be open uh, yesterday, when Marilyn Decker went to pick up the flowers, they actually were closed. So we're thankful to Bobby Ligon for sharing her beautiful ferns with us today. And since Bobby is lending her ferns, they will be returned to her following worship. <laughs> and Marilyn asked me to mention to you that because of budget constraints in the flower budget, 
for July and August, for the rest of July and for August, unless you give money uh, specifically for flowers to be arranged on Sunday morning, we'll just have ferns. Uh, so if you want to do that, call Renee in the church office and let her know. Uh, or you can let Marilyn know, but Marilyn's going to have a total knee uh, surgery uh, July 13th. So uh, call Renee in the church office to let her know. And as always, please review the insert in the order of worship to, uh, for other announcements and opportunities or check out our newsletter. Now let us worship God together.
Let's say our prayers. Almighty God, called by many names, understood in a variety of ways, and worshipped by diverse people of faith, surrounded by awe-inspiring symbols of good government, we give thanks for this nation and its constitutional commitment to freedom and justice for all people. Assembled on the steps of the Capitol because of a shared concern about the rampant violence raping the communities of our land, vomiting death, eroding security, engendering fear, threatening our very way of life. We confess a need for wisdom to guide us in dealing with yet unanswered questions about violence, but a need for boldness for what we already know about how to reduce violence in our society. With Jews, we pray that the dignity of the other will be as dear to us as our own dignity. With Buddhists, we pray for recognition that bearing ill will in thought and speech leads to eon upon eon in the states of misery. With Hindus, we pray for what we find unite in our minds, unite in our purposes, and not fight against the divine spirit within. With Muslims, we pray for a recognition that all human creatures are God's children and that those dearest to God are those who treat God's children kindly. The Christians, we pray for a commitment to the things that make for peace, that results in a life that finds a blessing in peacemaking. With Native Americans, we pray for a realization that the abuse of another turns wise, ones to fools and robs the spirit of its vision. With six, we pray that no one shall cause another pain of injury and that all shall live together under a shield of beneficial Oh God, thank you for us. Comfort persons whose family members and friends have fallen as victims of violence. Ease the anxiety about persons see set on edge by the prevalence of violence that not even a door can shut without them jumping from fright. Endow leaders of 
the United States of America with an appreciation for the dignity of every person that creates within them a passionate commitment to building civil society, reshape our thinking so that efforts for peace reflect a glory and strength that never can be matched by preparations for fights and acts of killing. O oh God, O oh God, thank you. Amen. Across the years, I have uh, always looked forward to worship on the Sunday that we celebrate uh, Independence Day, the birth of the nation, the 4th of July. I am eager to give thanks to God for the founders' establishment of a democracy and the accuracy of religious liberty, the cornerstone of our nation. Every year, I feel honored to give thanks to God for our nation, our democracy, and our constitution. You know the troubled references that are bothering you today and me. Nationalists are causing trouble. Christian nationalism, people who think only Christians belong to this land, attacks on anti-Semitism, unloads of fired shots into Christian congregations, grieving the murders of innocent children. Hate is strong and growing across our land. How in God's name can we explain so-called patriots trying to kill the Vice President of the United States and our nation and snuff out the life of the leader in the House of Representatives. Scores of people no longer believe in democracy. More stunning still, many people are preparing for another civil war. A few years ago, in a sermon related to the 4th of July, I posed a question about the relationship between Jesus and the 4th of July. Now, of course, July the 4th is not a Jesus day. Uh, the church house we are in is the day. This is worship. As I see it on the 4th of July, Jesus would be about as out of place at a celebration on the 4th of July as a fur-coated Eskimo would be comforted on Waikiki Beach. Most years on the 4th of July, I have chosen biblical scriptures related to the day. Leviticus 25, 19, proclaim liberty throughout the land. 
John's gospel reminds us, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Or so if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. This year, I added Ecclesiastes 3.1 and 3.4. For everything there is a season and a time to weep. That's where we are. I never want my religion to choose the character of my government. And I never want my government to shape my religion. For a long span in my life, I thought our nation was perfect. I thanked God for blessing our land as no other nation on earth. At that point, I knew nothing of the people who came to this land who killed the people who were here long before they were. I had not thought about the fact that the people who came to the shores of North America made homes here and then went to war against the people of Great Britain. Christian ministers could preach only sermons from the Old Testament because they could only find scriptures there. The New Testament had no thing in it about war. At that time, I knew nothing about the thievery of black people from Africa who were brought to our shores to be solid sold slave people. In the formations of our government offices, I wished that our, later, our leaders had chosen the Department of Peace. But in our nation, rather, it was named the Department of Defense. To this day, I am proud of the many very good decisions made and actions taken by our nation's leaders. Many times while walking around streets in various places in the world, I have been thrilled over and over as people stopped me on the street and said, thank you, thank you for your government and the way it has helped us in so many ways. But then, I had never thought of our nation being attached to kill our people. However, more closely, I remain stunned discovering people who claim to be patriots in our land killing our own patriots. How does anyone do that? How could anyone want to replace our democracy with tyranny or dictatorship? This morning, let's look at the good and the bad, the lamentation and the celebration, Jesus and America, 
and be honest about this land that we love. Let's start with honesty. Honesty is imperative if we are to live a meaningful life and have a good government. Without honesty, there is no trust. And with no trust, we question integrity. Jesus said, living with truth makes you free. Right now, honesty could do wonders if it would do wonders if the charter of our nation and the reputation of religion would come forth. But presently, honesty seems to be in short supply. That is very dangerous. My friend Bill Moyers uh, helped me see and understand the gaping disparity between the words in historical documents and the actions in personal life of the author. You know, not all of the founders were clean in speech. Jefferson had a great vision of truth, but he demonstrated dishonesty in character. Jefferson was so right, so visionary, so bold in his writing about the importance of everybody's guaranteed access to life and to liberty and happiness. But Jefferson was so wrong, so selfish, rights-denying, and so merciless when he bought and bedded the slave named Ms. Hemings, the woman who birthed and mothered his children. Mr. Jefferson knew the truth. But Mr. Jefferson lived the lie. Look carefully. Listen carefully. In a very real sense, the life of our nation right now mirrors the life of Thomas Jefferson. We have believed better than we have behaved. We have affirmed values that we have refused to implement. My friend Bill Moyers wrote about big truths and little lies. I can't help but speak today of little truths and big lies. We must change.
liberty was the driving force for pilgrims coming to America. However, no sooner than the largest group of new inhabitants in this land were settled quickly, they moved right on to make their religion an established religion that denied freedom and rights to those in the minority here. As President Taft pointed out, the Puritans came to this country to establish freedom of their religion, not the freedom of anybody else's religion. Within the past few days, I have read and watched leaders in our nation say that we, listen to this, we need to make Christianity the only religion welcome in this nation. We uh, speak and sing of freedom regularly, but we do not work for freedom for all. The Supreme Court was formed to protect the Constitution and laws. However, the Supreme Court has begun to function more like Congress than dealing with the Constitution. Just this past year or two, the High Court has changed the definition of religious freedom. Now the court makes more rulings on business than the American people. You know that just a few days ago, the high court decided it would tell women how they should take care of their bodies. The court has made laws that declare that when a woman has been raped, she has no right to do anything but have the person bring that baby into life. Ironically, the bipartisan members of Congress finally, in the same week, passed safe guns, something people have been looking for. The Supreme Court ruled that people can carry guns with them. Now, I just have to make a comment right here that you're going to find interesting, uh, maybe sad, uh, the rulings uh, of these last days were more about politics than they were about guns and health. While working in the ethics office of the Southern Baptist Convention, the big argument in that convention was about how women should take care of their own bodies and, believe it or not, only a very few people condemned abortion. My friends, as I understand it, nine people in the Supreme Court does not have the right to decide what is biblical just because they think it's biblical. We are a nation, 
not a church. The court also has broken the rule of using tax money for private and religious schools for their work that is supposed to keep public school good for all. The court should be supporting public schools for reading, writing, and arithmetic rather than somebody's religious theology. I love God, and I love my nation, but I know the difference between the two. I recognize with great gratitude how the democracy of a secular nation is the best for a government in which to practice the Christian religion. Entanglement with government invariably compromises religion's integrity. No exceptions. Our judiciary now approves linking the name of our nation with God because the word God is now considered a patriotic word. How repulsive and sacrilegious. We're a long way from that little church in Virginia when Patrick Henry thundered, give me liberty or give me death. Where now is the passion? Where now is the freedom? Liberty will be preserved and protected only when actions are as powerful as rhetoric in bad times and good times. The real test of our commitment to freedom is the strength of our will to protect freedom for people with whom we disagree or of whom we disapprove.
one afternoon a few days ago, a longtime friend called me from San Francisco. As soon as I had answered and heard his voice, I knew something was wrong. My friend usually started out our conversation telling me something important that had happened and uh, asking me if, if we could get together and do something about it. Not that day, though. My friend marched with Martin Luther King Jr. for years. For years, he helped form and lead the NAACP. And more recently, he helped build the National Museum of American, African American History and Culture. The first words that he spoke were somewhat frantic. Welton, I think we have finally lost it. I'd never heard him speak of something that we couldn't do. T tell, me, tell me what you're thinking, I ask him. One of my dear friends in the church was killed last night. Another black person fell. It just goes on and on, he said. Nobody cares. Welton, we've gone back. We've gone way back. We've gone all the way back to my childhood in Mississippi. I, I can still see it. I watched a group of white men hang my grandfather from a tree. One of my best friends was shot in the driveway as he was coming home. I think that was Medgar Evers. Nobody is helping. If we're black, we're targets. Targets with bullets at us. I honestly had never heard him like this. I told him, it's, uh, I've never heard you like this. He said, Welton, it is where we are. Be aware. It is getting worse and no one is working Hard to save us, he said. Warn your friends and wife and families, if they are black, Welton, if they are, tell them to protect themselves and their children. Let's talk again soon. It shook me. It shook me because a few days prior I had heard many of the same words. Murders of Jews, Chinese, Muslims, Japanese, more African Americans, Eastern women. Only a week earlier, on my radio show, I had interviewed a friend who is a professor and teacher who trains people uh, running for the presidency and Congress. And so I said, 
what, tell me, how do you think this nation is going? And I thought I hadn't asked him. It was silence. And then he said, I don't think we will make it this time. We are losing our democracy and liberty and freedom. We have lost ground more killing among blacks, politicians with no integrity. LGBTQ plus people fear the Supreme Court. Children are in danger. Our nation is more divided than we have ever seen before. Voting this time around may be critically cruel. Women are as angry as they are fearful. More of these people have been African American. You know, racism so pervades our culture that it often occurs right before our eyes and we can't see it. We have grown accustomed to lies used as excuses for hate and distorted rationales aimed at making injustice look American. Racial prejudice is a sin against God as well as against other people. Here, here's what the Bible says. If any person says, I love God and hates his or her brother or sister, that person is a liar. One who does, does not love his brother or sister does not love God. Racial prejudice is a sin against God as well as against other people. It's bad. It's bad. If, if we choose it to be bad, we can make it better if people like us can make it that way. It can be better. We can overcome.
Now love. Love, what the Bible says, is the greatest of all virtues. Isn't it time to give love a chance? Real love, holistic love, divine love. Friends, if we can't love our nation, we can't love the people in our nation. And if the nation and its leaders do not love, they cannot love the citizens. Using words from W.H. Auden's poem entitled September 1st, 1939, it was blunt. We must love one another or die. Either love will find its proper place of sovereignty in people's lives, citizenship, and work, or we will see a continued deterioration of simple empathy and compassion, no help for the poorest and weakest among us, a lack of conscience about wars that allow us to hire soldiers and continue with our own agendas while fighting is fierce, and a mechanical type of depersonalized relationships in which people think going it alone is better than the trouble of living together and utilitarian becomes the primary principle in sexual relationships and doing what is easiest least troublesome and only in good times will take the place of the passion of love that fulfills dreams, births children with integrity and gives society a goal which most would rather reach whatever the cost than to lose at any cost. wanted to change the world. In fact, I still do. When I was younger, I believed that changing the world was possible. A raw, unimplicated Christian faith provided the inspiration required for such work, and a patriot's dream of this nation's assured me of the freedom to pursue any assume a change that can be made and we can do that now I, I, I don't know I don't know 
But how I do know is that if there are people like us, we can change. But how do we do it? In 1998, I was invited to do the major address for the Northeast members of the Universal Universalist Church, a good church. I was asked to speak on the title, Walking Together. Historians tell us those words were taken from Salome Covenant in 1929. The words of the speech grabbed my mind and my heart, and Unitarians' commitment had grabbed me with them to walk together. They walked together as covenants together. From that day until those two words today have throbbed in my mind and ear, and I have envisioned what it would mean for us to all, all be walking together. Now don't understand, misunderstand. Walking together does not mean everyone must look the same way, think the same way, or support the same political party. People of different races, people of different religions, people with no religion can walk together. If we are all working in the same nation, if, if we can at least walk together. In my vision of walking together, I see a government true to its constitution, not showing partiality to any religion, but guaranteeing all of the rights and benefits of freedom to every citizen regardless of that person's religion or lack of religion. I I hear debates in which participants are committed to civility, condemned of disrespect, and vehemently opposed to political strategies that advance agendas by creating divisions. I, I watch governmental leaders reaffirm the primacy of law in our society and rebuff efforts to litigate and get us into morality. I see a nation in which unity is not forgetting things, it seems like, by the imposition of uniformity, the right to pursue happiness literally is available to everybody and citizenship aimed at assuring the continuation of freedom and strengthening the dynamics of democracy is a shared journey if we want it. Walking together, we can change things. Either people will learn the appropriate relationship between religion and government as well as the necessity of religious freedom in our nation will return to a pre-First Amendment understanding of religion and government uh, in which each compromises, if not ruins, the other. 
Internationally, we will either learn the appropriate relationship between religion and government, or the future will be filled with escalating conflicts between religions and between religions and governments that often turn violent. Either we will get back to the experiment of democracy, practice the art of compromise for the common good and cross all lines that prevent cooperation or we will lose our democracy, assault our freedom, and assure failure for the grand vision that gives breath, courage, and strength to our constitutional way of life. I don't always know how to love this nation. But I do know that if all of us walk together, we will know each other better and have a chance at knowing peace and experiencing goodwill. I love this place, Plymouth. Every Sunday, the first church in Plymouth recites a contemporary version of the Mayflower Compact, a document that seems sacred. I share a paraphrase of those words now as a gift to Independence Day, those of us who worship the God whose gracious gifts enhance our lives, intensify our love, and motivate us to say thank you. Listen, we pledge to walk together in the ways of truth and affection. At best, we know them now or may learn them in days to come. That we and our children may be fulfilled and that we may speak to the world in words and actions of peace and goodwill.
pray with me. Holy One, we are in trouble. We humbly seek your help. We pray that integrity may be established as the characteristic of our behavior, indeed as the lifestyle of our nation. We pray for our nation that the erosion of credibility between citizens and government officials may be arrested before the gap becomes a canyon. That the leaders of our country may by both words and deeds reestablish the importance of honesty in national affairs and in personal matters. That the laws of the land and the institutions which implement their intent may be spared manipulation for personal gain and utilized for justice and the public good. That the trust of our republic may not be limited to that power which is marshaled in megatons or to what wealth which is reflected in the gross national product, but that it may rest in that our commitment to honesty, our pursuit of justice, our elimination of discrimination, our support of freedom, our efforts at world peace may be of such a nature as to assure us a place of moral leadership in the international community. We pray for the citizens of our nation. God, our trust has been ruptured by double talk and immoral behavior on the part of persons within high echelons of government. Our minds are troubled by our tumult of crises. Our will is frustrated as we facilitate between a sense of importance as citizens and a sense of futility. Forgive our worship of a civil religion which equates nationalism with Christianity, confuses government policy with your will, and interprets patriotism as blind allegiance. Disturb any apathy concerning the political arena until complacency becomes creative involvement in politics on behalf of basic morality. Translate our political cynicism into a responsible citizenship which personality works at every level of government, supporting that which is right and challenging that which is wrong. Oh God, we pray for our leaders that they may ever be cognizant of your support as your expectations of them, that they may be among our leaders by moral leadership secure once again the shaking foundations of this democracy. May their faith be a source of courage and their communion with you a source of strength. Now keep us disciplined in our fellowship of the one 
who was the incarnation of integrity, the one who thus can make us free. Amen. Thank you.